I hope you have memories from when you were a kid or, or maybe for your kids as well of, of reading them a story or of having a story read to you. There is power in the spoken word. I, I hope you experienced this morning as we heard from Genesis 2 and Revelation 22 at the beginning and the end, this power in God's word. A question for you, how many of you have gardens at home? So raise your hand if you have a garden at home. A handful of, uh, of hands went up. How many of you think you have a green thumb? If you'd raise your hand if you think you have a green thumb. How many of you are convinced that you do not have a green thumb? I definitely don't have a green thumb. Did you know, so in the, uh, the idea of having a green thumb, it actually only goes back to the 1930s. It's where this phrase began. And, uh, and it began because uh, they would, you would handle lots of pots if you were a gardener and, and earth and dirt. And essentially the, the algae and the grass would stain your fingers and, and your thumbs, hence the idea of having a green thumb. But if you think about it, there wasn't there wasn't really the option of not having a green thumb before the early 1900s and 1930s because until the Industrial Revolution, almost everybody was dependent on their own gardens for food or at least a community garden in, in your community, right? Before everybody sort of flocked to the industrialization of, of cities, everybody needed to have a green thumb to put food on your, on your table. We have all of this imagery in the Bible of trees and, and gardens. And I, it, I think it's worth stepping back and realizing that, that we are removed from, a, from a, a generation or two and all the generations before that that, is, that truly grew their own food and was dependent on, on God for the abundance of blessings just to put food on the table. So with that, that background... This month, we're going to explore the imagery of trees and gardens in the Bible. It's, it's rich imagery. It's imagery that we don't always understand that's, that's easy to, to skip by. And what better place to start than at the beginning and the end of the Bible, we find a garden in both, in both places. So before we, uh, before we jump in, let's, uh, let's pray. Would you pray with me? God, take my lips and speak through them this day. And take our minds, those of us gathered in this room, those of us gathered virtually, those of us hearing this message later, take our minds and, and think through them. And take our hearts and set them on fire with your love. Amen. So we're going to talk today about these gardens at the beginning and at the end of the Bible and, and life between the trees. And I, I just want to uh, share as I get started today that I am deeply indebted to Rob Bell, who's a, a former pastor at Mars Hill Church just up the road in, in Grand Rapids. He has his own podcast now. And Marty Solomon, who does the Bema podcast, um, I'm deeply indebted to their teaching. And I was trying to think as I was melding together some of their ideas with, with this message today, how do I, like, without keep saying their name over and over, Rob Bell says, and Marty Solomon says, Rob Bell says, Marty Solomon says. And so I came up with this. If it is insightful or meaningful to you, it probably came from Rob Bell or Marty Solomon. And if it's just kind of mundane and you knew that already, you can just assume those parts come from me. So that, that covers giving credit for the ideas today. As you think about the Garden of Eden, 
Right? We have this story of Adam and Eve, and, and lots of us have learned this story as kids. But what happens, what happens when, we, when we dig into this story, when we, when we start to ask questions? And I actually think there are lots of different ways to study the Bible. But um, if, you're, if you're sort of stuck and you're wondering, you know, how do I get deeper into this text? One of the ways is just sit down with the text and ask questions. Like, what, what questions does this bring up for you? Now, in, in our Western understanding, and our Western learning, we're often taught to get at the answers. And so we don't want to spend much time with the questions. We want to go to the Bible and find the answer to the question that we're looking for. But in an Eastern approach, sometimes the path to knowledge, to enlightenment, to knowing more, to faith, is not just in coming up with pat answers, but in asking deeper and deeper questions and exploring through the questions. For example, in the story of Adam and Eve, God creates Adam, and, uh, and then God creates all of the animals. He's looking for a helpmate for Adam. And then he invites Adam to help him name all of the animals. And I don't know about you, but as I'm reading this and I'm, I'm thinking about questions I want to ask, like, wait, why, why was Adam a part of naming all the animals? Like, what significance does that have to the story? Because God created all that is. Right? Obviously, God had some names in mind. for like God, God is creating everything. What's, what's the purpose of inviting Adam in? And Rob Bell does this much better than I will do it right now. But, but I mean, just think about this. Like, what does this even look like? God sitting next to Adam and like, they're bringing the animals in one-to-one to, to name them, right? And, and like, we think of this and, and we think of English, but Adam didn't even have... English, like, we, it doesn't say anything about language, so what kind of language was even there? And then, if we think even more deeply, it's like, so, so maybe Adam was just, like, sounding things out, so the slithery thing comes up, is brought, and, and Adam's, like, just trying sound, eel, eel, and God, you know, God's like, there are a lot of these, we can't take time, eel, go, next, bring in the next, and then, then you know, Adam's, like, trying again, he's like, and little bug there, ant, and God's like, okay, ant, excellent, and then this larger creature comes and it eats the ant, and, uh, and Adam's got this one, ant eater, and then, and then a larger creature yet comes and eats the ant eater, and Adam's got, he's like, I got the hang of this now, ant eater eater, and uh, God's like, no, that, the chain, we can't follow it all the way through, and so he's like, how about jaguar, um, right, I, I mean, what does this even look like? And if we spend some time with that question, we, we begin to realize that here at this story, at the start of humanity, human beings are invited to be a part of God's story in a significant way. Human beings are, are given the opportunity, Adam is given the opportunity to be part of this creative process in relationship with God. God walks with Adam and Eve in the garden. There's an invitation to relationship. If you've heard me preach at all, you've, you've heard me say how important it is for us, if we want to understand what the, what the Bible says to us, it's so important for us to get into context. Who's writing this and who is it being written to? And at the time that this story comes into existence, in the, in the people of God, all of the stories around them of the gods, all the stories of creation, and all of those stories, human beings are an afterthought, or they are puppets in a divine story. 
pawns, playthings of the gods, but not, not as the people of God come to know the one true God, they come to realize that we're not just playthings in this story of the gods. The one true God has invited us into a relationship. Has invited us to, to have purpose and meaning in this, in this story of God as, as God is creating it. For that to happen, right, we have to have the ability to choose. Otherwise, we're just puppets in God's, in God's story. So we we're given this free will, and in this first story of the Bible, you see that Adam and Eve are, are, given, are given the ability to choose. And they can choose to, to live in God's garden with, with everything that God has provided with the tree of life at the center of that garden. Or, or they can eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, even though God has, has invited them not to. And it's funny, here's another great place for a question in the Bible. Like, for any of you who have kids, you know, we've got kids, and, and so you learn pretty early on in parenting process that if you want your kids to try something, probably your best bet is actually, like, to put it on the floor and be like, don't touch that, and then they're right at it, right? Like, they go after it. Which leaves this question, like God puts the tree of knowledge in the garden of good and evil. He's just created Adam and, and Eve, and he puts this tree, and he says, don't eat from it. Well, what are they going to do? Right? I, I mean, they're asserting their, uh, they're asserting their will. And so they take the fruit and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, even though God has said not to do it, and, and they eat of it. If we look closely, right, it, they're really, Adam and Eve, they're, they're presented this decision between two kingdoms, right? The kingdom of self, holding on to, to knowledge, knowing it all yourself, being able to do it yourself. That's the lure. This kingdom that will be defined by power and going it on your own and, and glory for you. The kingdom of self. between that kingdom and the kingdom of God. Right? A kingdom that will come to be defined by faith and trust and, and sacrifice and love and enough for everyone. Two kingdoms is their choice. And the serpent's invitation is, like, God's not going to kill you. You're not going to die. And they don't die literally, right? Try to be like God. You can do this. Make it your story. Give in to the desires that you, that you have. If we think about the Bible, the whole of the Bible, all of these rich pieces of literature, they, they hold on to this story of our humanity again and again, right? It's a choice between trusting God, faithfulness to the, the story, or serving ourselves. 
It's a, it's a story of deciding to be faithful or deciding to make decisions out of our, our fears and our insecurities. Two stories. The, the prophets in the, in the time of the early people of God, they actually picked this up and they used garden imagery over and over again. You'll find it in Jeremiah. You'll find it in Isaiah. And in these stories, there are really two kinds of gardens. There's the kind where God is the gardener, where the people trust God and God blesses them and those gardens are fruitful and they multiply and there's abundance and there is enough for everybody. And then there are the images of gardens that the empires are building. Gardens that the prophets say are, are built for show. They're, they're built to show off wealth and, and power. You think of the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the world. And the prophets say these gardens will be destroyed. They will not stand. But the garden of God with enough for everyone is a vision to, to hold on to. The people are invited to think about which kind of gardens are, are you a part of. Are you a part of the, the gardens of the empires, shows of power that don't last, or are you part of the garden of the one true God where there is enough to feed others, enough for everyone? And as we know as human beings, right, that, that we come back here and we make, we make decisions that are about us. We react to our, our fears. We think that life is defined by what we achieve or how good we can be. We, we think somehow that it's about what we can do. And so God sends Jesus into the world to show us it's not about what you can do. It is simply about God's grace. It's about this life-giving love that God offers to everybody no matter what. This isn't a love you can earn. This, this love is just yours. And then, and then Jesus shows us the way to experience that love and that grace. And it culminates. This way culminates in a garden. Jesus takes his followers into the garden of Gethsemane, a, a grove of, of trees and flowers, olive trees. And he, he kneels there. I didn't and we should keep in mind Adam and Eve and, and their, their choice between the two kingdoms as we hear Jesus' prayer because he says, right, he has these human desires. He says, if you can take this cup from me, Lord, please do, in Matthew 26. But then he shows us the way and he says, yet not as I will, but as you will. Not my will, but yours be done. Trusting God. Immediately after the resurrection, in John's gospel, we're returned again 
to the garden. Mary is there weeping in the garden right outside the tomb where Jesus has been laid. And, and Jesus comes up to her and says, woman, why are you crying? And, and Mary, John tells us, thinks he was the gardener. Right? John holds on to this image of the, of the garden. And Jesus as the true gardener. And then Mary recognizes Jesus as, as he says her name. How many of you have been watching the Olympics? Any Olympics watchers? Some of you have been watching the Olympics. Probably most of you haven't been able to avoid the, the news of Simone Biles and, and her um, pulling out of the of the competition, and you can watch all of the, uh, there's all this news and all this conversation about that, and I don't begin to know the heart of where she made that decision or how she made that decision. I am certainly one of those who applaud her for it, but it's interesting to think about how the conversation around this decision reflects this, these decisions that we are making every day around the two kingdoms. Right? Because in the past, we as America would have applauded her for like plowing on through and, and putting her body on the line and, and maybe even getting a career-ending injury, but just to, to plug on through and, and to win more medals. Right? There's a lot more personal glory that she could have gone after. But there are other values that matter too, right? Team. I have to imagine she knew she might have been a detriment to her team at that point. The quality of her life going forward, things she wants to, to do, things God is calling her to do in the future. Again, I don't, know, I don't know what was at the heart of her decision making, but I think we can look at her decision and see the competition of these two kingdoms for our loyalty in life. That that is about personal achievement and, and glory and those things, riches, those things that we sometimes hold up as what we're after. And the values of the kingdom of God, which are self-sacrifice and kindness and goodness and enough for everyone. Every day, every day of our lives, we make decisions. We make decisions at work. We make decisions with how we raise our children and how we communicate with our families. We make decisions with how we spend our money. We make decisions with, with every aspect of our lives about which, which kingdom we are serving. Our devotion. You see, followers of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we choose every day every day between seeking the tree of life and pursuing our own way. Just think about that for a moment. Think of the, the things you've done in the last week, the decisions you've made in the last few weeks. Every day, followers of Jesus choose between seeking the tree of life and pursuing their own way. So people will sometimes ask, 
okay, I, I, hear, I hear that. Like, I, I get that, that the world often draws us to make decisions that are selfish or, or about us. But how do I know? Because I'm facing a decision in my life. How do I, how do I know whether it's I'm making it about me or for me or for, for my people or, or whether I'm truly making it for God and, and for the world? And let me give you three questions to take with you today. Three questions that can help us answer this question face this challenge of of pursuing the tree of life, pursuing God's way. Question number one, what is the motivation for this action or decision? What is is motivating this decision or what I'm about to do? Am I I giving in to the the motivation to to achieve as the world wants me to achieve? Am Am I acting out of fear? Or, or is my motivation to, to help others, to, to follow where God is leading? Am I motivated by my faith? What is motivating any given action or decision? Question number two. Who does this action or decision serve ultimately? What I'm about to do, what I'm about to say... This decision I'm about to make, who, who does it serve ultimately? Does it serve me? Serve my interests? Or does it serve God? Is it, does it serve others? And this is probably a place to say that sometimes we hear this sense of following God's will, and it's not always at the expense of ourselves. And I, I want us to be really clear to think about that, that, you know, for example, a, a few weeks ago, as you know, we went on vacation with our family, and, and uh, it was gone for j- just about two weeks of, of vacation time. And even the decision of vacation, right, we can ask these questions. And who is, who is ultimately served by vacation? I, I, am I served by my vacation? Absolutely. We had a great time. It was fun. But we also know that sometimes we need Sabbath and sometimes we need rest and sometimes we need to get away and sometimes we need to invest in our family because it fills our tank so that we can serve others. So am I more motivated? Do I have more energy to serve now that I'm back? And the answer is, I certainly hope so. I certainly feel it. I hope others feel it as well. Right? What is the motivation? If the motivation for my trip is for me to have a great time and, and for me to see the sights and and for me to um, just do things I haven't done before, that, that's all about me. But if the motivation is to stretch my boundaries so that I, I learn the stories of people and get to know other people, if the, if the motivation is to fill my tank so I can be there for others and, and care for others, then that is a, a decision to serve the kingdom who does this action serve ultimately is question two. And question three is who will this decision or action bring glory to? Again, is this going to make me look better? Or is this bringing glory to God? Is this bringing attention to me? Or is this bringing attention to, to God's community? I'm going to pick on Sue a moment. I didn't do this in the first service. Um, Sue hates coming up here to share with you because, not because she's afraid of you, 
You're not scary, I promise. Because she doesn't want the attention to be on her. Right? But this week, she, she realized and she said, can I come up and share the story of the mobile food pantry when we were talking about, about sharing it? Because, because she knew that, that her passion would come through, that, that these stories that she's experiencing could, could motivate others to do this. She knew that the stories today would bring glory to God and to the, the ministry, and so she wanted to tell them, who will this decision, this action bring glory to? We live, as Rob Bell says, as Marty Solomon says, we live in between these trees. Right? And, and I think there's this, this danger when we think about the vision of the tree of life and the visions of Revelation. Like, and I've heard, I've probably done this myself in the church. Sometimes we're like, there's this beautiful vision out here of the garden restored. And, and this tendency to then think, okay, so, so I, don't, I'm, I'm gonna, I believe in Jesus, and now I'm just waiting for this vision to be restored. But in the book of Revelation, this vision is, is shared of the tree of life, not so that people will give up and just wait for it to come. John shares this vision so that those who are being persecuted, those who are having a hard time hanging on to their faith, can hang on to this promise so that they can be the people of Jesus in the moment, so that they can share the good news, so that the, the word of Jesus, so that the love of Jesus can keep spreading, so that the kingdom can grow. Right? How we live between the trees matters. God invites us into the very beginning of the story to be a part of creating, stewarding God's creation. God shows us again and again through the words of the prophets and finally Jesus' sacrifice on a cross. What that kingdom looks like, it's a kingdom of love and grace that knows no bounds, that is for everyone, where there is enough for everyone. And we're invited to hang on to that vision because the tree of life means that this is our vision for eternity. Which kingdom will we choose? The kingdom of self or the kingdom of God? Let me invite you to stand right now. And I want to invite you to join me in a moment, if you would like to, in our, in our clay covenant. We say this, this covenant, this promise, every week. And every week as we, as we say these words, it's our commitment to, to live as part of God's kingdom right now. It's our commitment to, to choose to live lives of enough and lives of faith and lives of plenty and lives of sharing and lives of sacrifice to care for others. So if you're ready and willing to say yes to Jesus today, 
If you're ready to say yes to being people of the kingdom, would you join me in these words that you'll see on the screen? I will pursue the faithful life, reaching up to God each day, reaching out to serve someone this week, and reaching one more person with the love of God.